Today, America is delivering, delivering. And I honest to God believe that 50, 75, 100 years from now, from people who will look back on this week, they'll know that we met this moment. Today, I'm signing the law of the Chips and Science Act, a once-in-a-generation investment in America itself. Earlier this month, President Joe Biden signed the Chips and Science Act. The historic legislation provides up to $52 billion from the United States government to help spur production of semiconductor factories and research facilities across the country. The bill also authorizes tens of billions of dollars to support federal research and development and regional tech startups. The Biden administration hopes this will open doors to new commercial breakthroughs in emerging fields, such as quantum computing and artificial intelligence. Congress must still appropriate those funds, however. Even so, with the passage of the CHIPS Act, the U.S. is ready to once more become a world leader in semiconductor production and challenge China's domination in that industry. One of the states that could stand to benefit from all of this is Arizona. We've long been a desirable location for tech companies from Motorola to Intel. Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about what this new federal initiative could mean in a state trying to grow its high-tech footprint. Joining us on Zoom to talk about this is the president of Arizona State University, Michael Crow. Dr. Crow, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here, Ron. Happy to talk about this really important project. One of the things that we should start with is how much of a presence does the semiconductor industry or advanced manufacturing more broadly already have in Arizona? So much so that if you ever watched the movie Independence Day, they wouldn't be blowing up the buildings in Hollywood or New York or Washington. They'd be blowing up Arizona because Arizona is already a center for advanced manufacturing of all things digital and has been for a long time since Motorola came here uh, decades ago. And then all the things that have evolved since then. So we're sort of the unknown superpower in microchip manufacturing. So let's talk about what kind of impact this chips law could have here in Arizona and also at Arizona State University. Well, you know, you mentioned that this was a federal initiative. I really view this more as a national initiative. The federal government's investment is a small piece of what everybody is basically agreeing to do here. All of the manufacturers, the supply chain in that, the universities and so forth, everybody is stepping up and basically saying, the U.S. has always been in the lead in microchips in all things, discovery, development, research, manufacturing, systems, systems integration, and we need to continue to be so. And we've lost the manufacturing edge and we could lose the research edge. We can't lose either. So the national government has stepped up to blunt the government interference in the market by other countries, basically level the playing field, and then now empowering the universities and the companies to now go into super speed. So what we're really looking at is, and people don't really understand this, they think that these microchips are like little gizmos that like help their cell phones to have their voices do Snapchat, uh, their faces on Snapchat, and that that's, that's the result of this. Far from it. I mean, it turns out that 
microchips are now as important as electricity to all things and are a ubiquitous underpinning of everything. Everything now has a calculator of some type. And so the super phones of the future will have tens of billions of transistors per chip more than they have now. This will affect medical systems outcomes. It will affect artificial intelligence. It'll affect learning. It'll affect vehicles. It'll affect everything. Everything we've got, how do we manage the new the new world that we're entering? And so the U.S. felt that from a national security perspective, from a national economic development perspective, we needed to maintain preeminence in all things, research and development, manufacturing and systems. And so for Arizona, just to add to that, this then allows us to become you know, basically a microchip technology-based superpower. What role does ASU play in this industry and in this, the disciplines that help direct it? Well, we're running the largest engineering school in the country right now at ASU. We've grown it by a factor of five in just the last 10 years or so. So we're producing the people that are necessary. People may not know that these kinds of industries require very high-tech capabilities from all the way from the the artisans and the lab techs to the scientists and the engineers. And so we're producing a lot of those. And then ASU plays a central role in the moving to the next edge. So for instance, we have huge labs at ASU with massive projects funded by the Defense Department on chips that both calculate and communicate at light speed across every complexity imaginable. And so we are a people producer at the highest end and largest numbers, and we're an idea producer. And so ASU is a central component to where this industry is going. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company is building a $12 billion plant in North Phoenix right now. Why do we need to do anything more to grow an industry that is already choosing Arizona? Well, I mean, it's it's a lot more than that. I mean, so Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company is the returning of the supply chain from Taiwan to the United States, while the Taiwanese government, the German government, the Polish government the Chinese government, People's Republic of China, are hugely subsidizing uh, factory locations. The U.S. has come in and not hugely subsidized them. They're basically giving locational assistance to companies uh, like TSMC. And so it's insufficient, by the way, uh, without the probable success of this act, without the uh, evolution of other public assets, these companies couldn't make these kinds of investments. That investment that you mentioned, the $12 billion, that's just what they've committed to so far. I mean, they're their true investment over time will be in the tens of billions or hundreds of billions of dollars. And then the entirety of their supply chain will also move to Arizona, that which isn't here already. So talk about what this means for competition within the United States in an environment now with chips and presuming that Congress funds this thing as they are expected to do into the future. What will this do for state-by-state competition for these kinds of high-tech facilities and such? Does this create a new demand for new incentives coming from the Arizona legislature or other things that uh, the region can be doing or should be doing? Well, what's interesting is that Arizona is sort of in of the five tiers of states in terms of science and technology-based economies. Arizona is in the second tier, very high performer already. It's not in the first tier. Massachusetts, California, um, uh, Illinois, Texas, to some extent, uh, Washington, and New York uh, definitively in this space are in the first tier. What we have in Arizona now is an opportunity with the expansion of these manufacturing, advanced manufacturing, and then through the new economy initiative that we, the state has been investing in at ASU through other things that ASU has been doing. So we're launching 
and building from scratch a multi hundreds of millions of dollars new uh, manufacturing school on the Polytechnics campus in Mesa. We've got all these things that are happening. So what this will enable Arizona to do is to leap to the first tier. Now, being in the first tier is absolutely critical to where the economy is going. That is, the economy is becoming increasingly knowledge-driven, increasingly science and technology-driven, and underpinning that are a few technologies. Microchips are one of those. Advanced materials are under that. And Arizona leaps to the first tier. Once in the first tier, you get a critical mass of things that are happening, not just around the microelectronics sector, but around all the technology sectors, which should be very, very beneficial to the modernization and further evolution of the Arizona economy. With that kind of clustering that you're describing, what kind of ripple effects will that have throughout this state's economy within, say, 20 years as we try and envision what this state will look like or the Metro Phoenix region in particular? Well, the, the cool thing that will happen is that Arizona already has a successful economy by many measures and has grown very rapidly. We have a you know great tourism industry. We have a great place to live, great place where people want to be. All those things are happening. What we haven't had is a concentration of very high wage jobs at very large numbers, and this will allow that. Uh, and so uh, what, we'll, what we'll see here is more research enterprises, more development enterprises built around the manufacturing enterprises. And it's the unification of research development, manufacturing systems, systems integration that will then lift the entire economy of Arizona. So all the boats will be lifted. One of the areas that we suffer in in Arizona, unlike Colorado or unlike Washington, picking two successful Western states, is that their economies person for person have a much higher per capita GDP much more punch per person in the economy overall. That would give us huge advantages in terms of uh, maintaining low tax rates, but having higher wages that people are supporting that low tax rate and then being able to do more, invest more in public schools, invest more in public infrastructure, invest more in public health and so on. And so this is an opportunity for Arizona to mature into an advanced science and technology driven place that has all of the other things underneath it, agriculture, tourism, mineral extraction, and so forth. You add to that then, this advanced technology coming at the exact moment that we're moving into a green economy. The advantages in Arizona for a green economy are off the charts. New water technologies, new growing technologies, new agriculture, new ways of managing buildings, new ways of advanced energy systems, You know all these things, solar systems. It's just a huge opportunity for Arizona, electric vehicles, battery systems. So Arizona's gonna now, I think, through this leap to the top tier of American science and technology knowledge-driven places. What will it take from the state or from other shareholders in all of this to ensure that the vision that you've just outlined comes to pass? Is there anything we need to do on a tax, regulatory, or other kind of legal landscape to ensure that this comes out the way that you've described it? Well, one thing that uh, some states have done that is effective is an R&D tax credit. Let's say you've got a bunch of people working at TSMC and four of the geniuses that are working there say, I've got a better idea. I can build another company. You don't want them moving to California or moving to Texas or moving to Utah to start their idea. So you want them to be able to start their idea here. And that's where we've fallen behind a little bit. So in spite of the fact that we have a, a good tax policy and so forth and so on, we don't have an environment conducive to high-tech startups to the extent that we should. 
So we need, we need to be thinking about that. We also need to be thinking about consistent public policy. And the consistent public policy that we need is that this is a place where you start a business, grow a business, and you've got stable projections. And then I think most importantly, and this is not self-serving, at the end of the day, it's all about human capital. So the places that have made the big investments in human capital, like Texas, like Colorado, like Utah, just picking some uh, Western states, you know, they've seen huge fruits from their consistent investment in high quality schools, high quality universities, all these things. And we just need a more consistent and focused set of investments in those areas. This legislation seems like a statement about supply chains in a post-pandemic world, but it's also, it seems, a wariness of reliance on Chinese dominance in one of the crucial inputs for a modern society as well. Do you foresee any kind of broader economic blowback because of this kind of approach taken by the national government, as you put it? And does that have any specific ramifications for Arizona? You know, I'm, I'm a big believer that competition is a wonderful thing. I'm like full contact hockey, man. Just let it rip. And so the Chinese have two choices. They can continue to decide to evolve into an economic democracy of some type and then evolve their economy to be competitive, or they can drop out of the economic race. I mean, they don't really have a choice, but finding a way to compete and the way that they're going to be able to compete now is, uh, you know, you're going to have to stop cheating. You're going to have to stop using that as a tool of forward advance. They need to focus on, everybody needs to focus on that the U.S. is stepping up. Like we're entering into another step function of global competitiveness. It also turns out, and the Russians are sorely learning this, uh, they have a failed supply chain. A small percentage of their microelectronics are made in Russia. They're all purchased somewhere else. So guess what? As soon as they run out of whatever they made, they're in big trouble and they're not going to be able to adjust very quickly. So the strategic positioning of the United States to protect and defend our interests by maintaining technological dominance. And then as well as being more and more competitive, I'm like, game on, you know? Uh, and so, so this is the way that we need to approach this. This is a huge opportunity for us to advance, to be more competitive against those that uh, want to be competitive in fair and rule bound full contact hockey. And I think that this is only advantageous. I don't worry about all that other kind of stuff. You're either going to compete or you're going to lose. And I could say more about that, but I won't. Okay. Well, I've got one more question for you. Uh, you've invoked sports and competition here. I have to ask about the future of ASU sports. Do you expect the Sun Devils to be competing in a refashioned Pac-10 or Pac-12 five years from now? Or what are the chances ASU will be playing in a different conference in that period? We love the Pac-10, Pac-12, Pac-11, Pac-22, whatever it ends up being. And what I mean by that is the schools, the Colorado, Utah, Washington, Oregon, Stanford, Berkeley, uh, you know, these are wonderful schools. They're wonderful for us to be linked up with. And the Western United States is just different than the rest of the country. So I see it in the following way. Those of us that remain in the Pac-12 are committed to the conference's success. Uh, right now, we're entering into those phases where we were anyway of renegotiating our media contract. Everybody's staying together. You know, I can give you a longer analysis of the USC UCLA thing on a, in a separate conversation. But, you know, what I see is uh, uh, the trajectory that we're on now is a strong, successful conference, notwithstanding that all aspects of college sports are in a huge state of flux right now with NIL and with uh, new conferences and super conferences. And in my own view, 
people moving dramatically away from where college sports should be, you know, $11 million, 10 year contracts for college coaches, which are greater than professional football coaches. I don't even get this stuff. I don't even understand what that's for or what it's about. But to your question specifically, you know, our hope is that the PAC 12 will regroup, adjust and thrive. Well, very good. Dr. Crow, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts and insights as always. Thanks for joining us. We'll let you go. All right. Thanks, Ron. And then uh, thank you for all the stuff you've been doing in terms of your, your hard analysis of all the things you've been working on. It's been uh, very interesting to take a look at. We'll pause here for a short break. Hi, Gaggle listeners. Producer Kaylee Monahan here. Do you have questions about Arizona's political landscape? Maybe you're new to the Valley and want a better understanding of the main players in our state. We want to hear from you. Leave us a voicemail at 602-444-0804. That's 602-444-0804. You can also email us your questions to thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. And don't forget to download the AZ Central app to stay up to date on all the news in our state. Now back to the episode. Now let's turn to a city that has been trying to attract big tech companies for years. The city of Mesa has been a home for Boeing for decades, and more recently they attracted a data command center for Apple but only after plans for a major solar panel plant fell through. In total, there are 29 different high-tech companies throughout the East Valley suburb. So how will the CHIPS Act benefit a city like Mesa? To give us that perspective, we're joined virtually by Mesa Mayor John Giles. Welcome to The Gaggle, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. Good to be with you. So let's start with how significant high-tech manufacturing or engineering is for Mesa right now. Give us a sense of what kind of footprint that has in your city. Anyone who's followed the press stories coming out of Mesa for the last few years has seen a lot of economic development announcements, particularly in and around the Gateway Airport area with Fortune 500 companies, yes, but I mean, Fortune 100 and Fortune 50 companies. A lot of household name, you know, biggest corporations in the world, a lot of them, you know, tech companies are coming to Mesa and making multi-billion dollar investments. Now, a lot of those have been data centers, but there's also advanced manufacturing and particularly companies that are tied to the uh, TSMC and Intel chip fabs that are coming in as part of the supply chain there. And we are seeing advanced manufacturing coming to Mesa as well, in addition to the, the data centers. So, there's really, for over the last couple of years, you've seen a, a real explosion in tech-related economic development, particularly in Southeast Mesa, but also in other parts of Mesa as well. Beyond the presence of the companies, though, there is the economic footprint that they make. Do you have an estimate as to how many people work in those industries or the overall economic value to the city? It's measured in the billions of dollars for sure. I think the last state of the city, we threw out a, a figure that was in the, a couple of billion dollars in, in terms of recent economic development impacts tied to tech and, and uh, advanced manufacturing. A lot of these projects, if you start taking them one at a time, you know, they're 100, 200, 
up to 500 employees, the, the tally grows pretty quick. Now, now, data centers, not a lot of employees, but they still have a lot of economic impact because they're huge users of utilities. Just the, the taxes alone on the perpetual construction that goes on there creates a lot of economic activity. We spoke earlier with ASU President Michael Crow, who is, as you know, a big fan of the CHIPS Act. What might this law mean for a city like Mesa? Well, let's start with the ASU connection. Mesa is the home of the, the Polytechnic campus, uh, again, out by the, the Gateway Airport. And ASU has announced that their new advanced manufacturing school, which is part of their engineering college, that's about a, a $200 million facility that's, um, that has been announced out there. And that is very much tied to the CHIPS Act. The reason all these companies that I mentioned earlier are coming to Arizona and coming to the East Valley uh, is is tied in large part to our workforce. And so Dr. Crow, you know, understands that. So this advanced manufacturing school is going to be providing the engineering graduates and the other disciplines that are going to feed and attract additional advanced manufacturing and tech companies to the area. ASU is a, a great example of why the CHIPS Act is important locally in Arizona. The Valley has had Intel for a while. You referenced TSMC. They're locating in North Phoenix. How does Mesa stand to compete for the future industry that CHIPS is going to help spur? Um, And what I'm getting at is, does it require any more available land, any further bonding capacity, any infrastructural improvements by the city to help bring on something more significant than what Mesa already has? Do you, do you have what you need? We're, yeah, we're, we're well positioned. I mean, for the last several years, we've kind of boasted that we've got thousands of acres of developable property in and around the gateway area. We can't say that anymore. And anymore when these big projects are coming to us, if they're looking for, you know, 100 acres, we kind of have to really look hard to find, you know, uh, uh, spots for them because it's starting to fill up. But to answer your question, Mesa is directly benefiting from the fabs that are being uh, built for TSMC and Intel because of, we have a lot of the supply chain companies related to chip manufacturing that are located in Mesa. We also have uh, JX Nippon just purchased uh, 65 acres for a semiconductor materials facility. The companies like Fujifilm that makes the chemicals, uh, the solvents and other things that are critical to the chip manufacturing is uh, just added an $88 million expansion in Mesa recently. And as we want, as we're looking to attract more advanced manufacturing companies other than chip manufacturers, all of them are big utilizers of chips, right? I mean, we are uh, working hard on our electric vehicle industry in Arizona and in, in Mesa in particular. We, Electromechanica is a, uh, just finished a facility in Mesa to manufacture electric vehicles. We know that the big shortage in electric vehicles right now is all tied to the demand and the lack of availability of, of chips, right? So the chip manufacturing fabs are tied to the East Valley uh, economy and really to the, to the national and global economy in some very significant ways, both directly and the ripple effect. Is there anything in this new law that you think is especially impactful for Mesa? that you are most excited about any particular feature? Well, you know, tens of billions of dollars are going to the chip manufacturers. That's the strategic argument for, you know, the, the fact the United States is 
is at a, uh, a geopolitical disadvantage when all of our chips are being manufactured in Taiwan and South Korea. And we, we've seen that that's not a good place for the United States to be, you know, politically and, and economically. So the fabs that are directly, you know, getting uh, funded by the CHIPS Act in Arizona, you don't have to scratch your head very hard to understand the significance of that. And, and really, I think Arizona and Ohio are the two places in the country that are the biggest beneficiaries of the CHIPT Act in that regard. So there's reasons that Senator Kelly and Senator Sinema were so enthusiastic in working on, on the CHIPS Act because Arizona is getting an, uh, an oversized benefit from the CHIPS Act when it comes to microchip fabs. But as I indicated earlier, the ripple effect of that between the supply chain companies that are helping those fabs and then just the availability of the microchips to be used for advanced manufacturing really sets up our economy very, very well. Arizona, as we know, is, is really attractive. Companies are moving here every day. In, in part, it's because of our workforce and, or because of our, our weather and our lack of natural disasters or our location to Southern California. But I, I think adding to that list of why we're attractive uh, will be that we are going to be a mecca for chip fabs. You've outlined a lot of the things that people point to in Arizona's recruiting successes. One thing that seems to be a looming concern, though, is the continued presence of drought and a growing awareness of the drought outside this state. How serious is the threat of water scarcity to everything Arizona is trying to accomplish in the tech industry right now? Absolutely. We, we are in a desert. If you look at the Colorado River right now, it, it's easy to be pessimistic about what our water future is. Technology is evolving. I mean, one of the big um, data center projects that, that we announced recently just let us know that they're shifting to an air-cooled technology. Traditionally, advanced manufacturers and data centers have been heavy users of, of water, but that's not going to be the case forever. And, and like I say, even now, they're starting to make the shift to air-cooled. So it's not, you know, an oxymoron for, for, for us to be, you know, a, a, attracting advanced manufacturing and data centers to a desert location because technology is catching up with that. But you can't really overstate the water situation. So uh, our legislature, our, our next governor, you know, are really going to have to grapple with this. Cities have been grappling with it for a long time. We can't build anything without a, a guaranteed water source for 100 years uh, locally. And that's something that City Mesa and all the other Valley cities uh, spend a lot of time working on. Mayor, one last question. Given everything that you know about the CHIPS Act and what you're trying to accomplish in the tech sector generally, is there anything that you want from the Arizona legislature, from the next governor that you think would be helpful in trying to further those efforts? You know, I'm reminded of a conversation I had with Waymo when they came to visit Mesa probably five or six years ago. And I said, wow, we're, we're so excited that you're building this beautiful facility, bringing all these great jobs to our city. You know, what can I do to help you? What can the city do to, to be a good partner with you? And they looked at me and they said, please do absolutely nothing. The reason we are coming to you and the reason we're coming to Arizona and to Mesa is because of the business-friendly environment and the, the lack of oppressive regulations. So I think that's part of, our, of what makes us attractive and we need to remember that and not be... Uh, you know, start, be, be overly uh, engaged in regulating and finding, you know, ways to welcome these businesses with Arizona laws. 
because that's part of what makes Mesa and in Arizona an attractive location for them. So like I say, in, in addition to finding ways to, you know, uh, continue to have a good workforce and to tout our weather and our location, I think we need to continue to find ways to have a, a business environment and a political environment that's welcoming to them. Very good. Mayor John Giles, thank you for coming on The Gaggle. If people want to follow you and what's happening in Mesa, where can they find you on Twitter? I am uh, at Mayor Giles on Twitter, and I think uh, the other uh, social media platforms as well as at Mayor Giles would love to uh, be connected. So please check those out. Great. Thanks so much for your time, Mayor. My pleasure. Thank you. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. What questions do you have about Arizona's political landscape? Well, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 602-444-0804, or you can email us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Kaylee Monahan. You can follow her at Kaylee Monahan. That's K-A-E-L-Y-M-O-N-A-H-A-N. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week. <laughs>